Good morning. If you could uh, read along with me, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 2, and we're going to be reading verses uh, 6 and the 6 through chapter 3 and 4. Wisdom from the Spirit. Yet among the mature, we do not we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand these things freely given us by God. And we we may impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. A natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but it is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not, you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and believing only as in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not merely human? Thank you, Liz, for reading for us. Sometimes you have to develop a few skills as you're reading the Bible, especially in passages like the one that was just read. One of the important skills that you have to develop, and many of you know this because you've been reading the Bible for a long time, is that you have to read the Bible in context. You have to read individual verses in a broader context. You can't just pull a verse out and kind of make it mean whatever you want it to mean, any more than you could just pull out the line of a movie and understand the whole movie by just that line and kind of make that line of a movie mean whatever. I mean, you can do it that way. It's just you, you run the risk of misrepresenting all of what's being presented. But when you back up and you look at the context a little bit more, you, you have to zoom out a little bit sometimes in the Bible to understand, okay, what is, what is the big picture going on here? Even looking at 1 Corinthians, we started a few weeks ago. And after greeting, so 1 Corinthians is a letter that the Apostle Paul, one of the really... Some, one of the first followers of Jesus, this letter that he wrote to a church in modern-day Greece, 
church at Corinth. After greeting them, he begins to address concerns he has. So that's the context. He has heard a report that all is not well at the church at Corinth. One of the things that is not well is that the church seems to be dividing. You can imagine, like, there's factions and there's subgroups, and this group is all about this particular teacher or leader. And then there's another group that says, actually, so-and-so has it, has it more on the spot. I, I, I like them better, and I think I'm better because I'm following the better teacher. And another says this, another says that. Paul could have told him, just stop it, okay? Just stop it. That's ridiculous. Paul has a bigger desire than just some behavioral modification, getting them to stop some bad behaviors and try to practice a few new good behaviors. When Paul writes, and it's, it's not just Paul writing, when the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to give us the very words of God, we know this, God is always going to aim for our heart, not just to correct a few behaviors. So while he could have said, church, just stop, stop acting like this, stop dividing, he actually goes a little bit deeper to get to our heart. He wants to see us change. So this is the way Paul approaches it. He is going to hold up and say, because God is like this, he's going to fill in the blank with the nature and the character of God, because God is like this, then how you're acting doesn't follow. It doesn't just, it doesn't even make sense for you to subdivide. Is Christ divided? No, he's not divided. He's going to aim for the heart by saying, think about the good news of what God has done for us, what God has accomplished for us. When Christ Jesus went to the cross, when he was executed on the cross for us and for our sins, think about the message of the cross. And that'll stop the subdividing when you, when you have your mindset focused on the message of the cross. When you realize all this is like nonsense and a, a scandal to the world, but, but you are the community of believers. This is the message that changed your lives. He aims a little bit differently. I want us to kind of zoom out and, and look at this passage. I want us to work our way through some of the, the main themes in this. And I think actually by, there are things that you see in a passage if you go up to like 3,000 feet that you wouldn't see on the ground level. And if you go 10,000 feet and 30,000 feet, I mean, there, there are patterns and there are themes that you see. And particularly, you're going to see some of those in this passage. But I want us to start with actually the last verses that Elizabeth read. So that is chapter 3 and verses 1 to 4. Can we start there? Chapter 3, 1 to 4, and it starts with the word but. So it's a contrast. So make a, make a note of that because we're going to come back to chapter, chapter 2 in just a moment. But he's saying there's a contrast here. And, and he says, but I, I brothers, I, I could not address you like you were spiritual people. So what is a spiritual person? Let's keep reading. I had to address you as people of the flesh. Notice, notice how many times the word flesh is used here. I had to address you as just like infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. There's jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh. You're behaving only in a human way. When one says, I follow Paul, and another, oh, I follow Apollos, 
Are you not being merely human? Notice the description of how they're living. Living people of the flesh. You're still of the flesh. There are these ways of the flesh. You're behaving in a merely human way. You're merely human. They are Christians. They're infants in Christ. But they're acting like they are of the flesh. I think if we listen to Paul, there are going to be some things that he'll help us. Kind of as we broaden out and we zoom out, we hear some of the main themes. And Paul is going to address how we live. And one of the ways he's going to address how we live is by reminding us, if you're living according to your flesh, instead of the Spirit, you end up with the community, a church family, believers dividing instead of coming together. If you choose to live according to the flesh, so what does that mean? To live according to the flesh, to walk according to the flesh. Imagine flesh is just simply our own instincts, our own desires, our own wants, and we don't have God telling us. We don't want God telling us what to do. We don't care about the way of Jesus. We're not interested in the Holy Spirit. We just like whatever makes sense to us, that's our priority. That's our desire. That's what we like. That's what we want. That's what we'll do. We'll fend for ourselves. We'll do it our own way. We'll use our own frame of reference to make every decision. That is living according to the flesh. And Paul says, if you do that, just know that you will fracture a community. It's no wonder you're dividing because you're living according to the flesh. It's no wonder that you end up, if I only am interested in what Curtis wants, it's no wonder why that would be, why my life would be filled with jealousy and strife. Why I would be very interested in finding security in myself because I'm not looking to Christ for it. So naturally, I'm going to say, well, 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 I matter. I'm important here. And I'm going to claw for that. And I'm going to want that. And I'm going to be jealous when you have it. If, if I'm not recognizing, wait a minute, I am in Christ and I'm in the Spirit. If I'm only operating in the flesh, that's the way this is going to go. I'm even going to be willing to initiate relational conflict with people maybe I love and I trust. I'm willing to initiate that because there's something I'm not getting and my flesh wants it. We all know what that's like. We all know how that feels. That moment that clicks for some unexplained reason, we just, I want to be right. I want my way. And if you're standing in my way, I'm going to move you out however I have to. If I have to make you feel like an idiot, if I have to embarrass you, if I have to raise my voice, if I have to tell you off, I will get my way. We know how that feels. We know how it feels when we have to walk on eggshells around a person. We coddle them. Make sure you don't say, oh, because you know how they are. We know what it's like when someone around us is walking according to the flesh. And we know what it's like when we're walking according to the flesh. And all of that gives a false view of Jesus to the world. That's not the way we're meant to live. We're not meant to, to live with parking lot conversations that tear down other believers. That's not the way we were meant to live. We're not meant to think, I'm better than so-and-so. I'm better than so-and-so. We're not meant to come in here and kind of jockey for who really is the better Christian. That's not the way it goes. And we may want to think that, 
You know, the flesh, people that live according to the flesh, they're doing all the, you know, all the bad things. They're the ones having sex outside of marriage. They're the ones that are lying. They're the ones that are squaring. They're the ones that would abuse people. They're the ones that are greedy. They're the ones that are stealing. All those works of the flesh. But Paul's saying, no, no, that can happen in the church, the works of the flesh, when we're just doing what we want to do. There's going to be strife and jealousy. And if you're playing the games of, I'm better than so-and-so, I'm better than so-and-so, I have more insight than so-and-so, Paul says, it's like you're in spiritual preschool. I can't even talk to you as adults. You see how Paul is shining a light on how we live. How we live. To be a follower of Jesus means you have embraced a different way of looking at the world. You've embraced a different way of looking at the world. You began to look at things from a different perspective. And what 1 Corinthians reminds us of is that perspective that we have comes to us through and because of the Holy Spirit. Before we dig too deeply into even what 1 Corinthians 2 teaches us, it may be helpful to kind of just press pause and and think a little bit about the Holy Spirit. We've got to understand some important truths and some concepts. So Christians over the years have read, read their Bible and have noticed something about the nature of God. Over the years as Christians have read these, these words, this text, they've noticed that God is presented as Father. And they've noticed that God is presented as son. And they've noticed and they've marked that God is presented as the Holy Spirit. And they realize that God is revealed, yes, as one, but also as three. It's a tri-unity. We've, you, you can look in the Bible, you won't find the word trinity, but it's the best way Christians have found to express a tri-unity. There's three and there's one. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're, we are talking about God. As a matter of fact, when we baptize, we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Did you know when we pray, Scripture teaches us to pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. So we regularly say, in Jesus' name. But we pray through the Spirit. As you come here, it's not uncommon for us as we're leaving for someone to give a blessing as we leave and for them to say the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God is Father. God is Son. God is Son that's distinct from the Father but co-equal. God is Spirit that's distinct from the Father and the Son, yet still God. So Paul is going to tell us about the Holy Spirit. He's been talking about the cross, but he's going to explain some things about the Holy Spirit. And there's a mystery and there's so much more we could say about this. But as we come into this, I want us to recognize he is talking about God, the Holy Spirit. And he particularly talks about how we know things. And he tells us, if the Spirit did not teach you, you would not know things about God. If the Holy Spirit did not teach you, you would not know things about God. It's it's a very important thing. How are you going to figure out things about God? Well, I mean, we could just kind of march everybody up to the stage and we could say, well, I like to think of God as, or I've always imagined God as, and we could go, but... Is that really going to be authoritative? Are you going to take my thoughts, my imaginations? 
when I was five, when I'm 17, when I'm 85. Now, I, I've always envisioned God as a, are you going to take my word for it? How are you going to know what God is like? How are you going to know his character? How does God relate to people? How does he relate to sinful people like us? What does God want? Pretty important question. What does God demand? Even more important question. Would God ever change? The times seem to change. Does he ever change? How do you know? How would you ever know? Is it all about like taking a pilgrimage to some holy site? That if you actually get your feet in the dirt of a, of a place that's holy, then you'll know, okay, I know things about God now. Or is it about being a really, really good person? Trying your hardest to be the best version of yourself, kind and moral and everything. And then when you do that, then you'll begin to pick up some things about God. Is that the way it works? Does it come because you are just intellectually and philosophically so much above everybody else? And for those select few, you know things about God because you've got it up here. Your mom always said you were smart. And boy, you are. And you've, you cracked the code on all these things related to God. Is that the way it happens? Does it happen because you're so open-minded? You can go, I think there's truth there, and I think there's truth there, and I think there's truth there, and I put it all together, and like, it all makes sense. I'm so open-minded. I picked it up all together, and now I know that. Is that the way it works? Christians understand, partly because of this writing of Paul, they know that's not the way it works. If the Spirit didn't teach you, you would not know things about God. What we know comes to us because the Spirit teaches us things about God. Don't take my word for it. And I'm not talking about just a few of us. I'm talking about all of us. It's the same for all of us. The same passage, this passage repeats it again and again. So if we were just walking through 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says this in verse 8. This wisdom of God that's talked about in verse 7. 1 Corinthians 2.8 says, yeah, none of the rulers of this age understood it. None. Seriously, none. Not one of them picked that up. It goes on to say in verse 9 and verse 10, there are, there are things that the eye has never seen, things that the ear has never heard, things that the heart has never, never imagined, things that God has prepared. How would we know those things? Verse 10 says that only comes through the Spirit. There's no other way possible for us to get information about God. These things have been revealed to us through the Spirit. Verse 10, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Verse 11 gives us an, an analogy. It says, just like humans, so I can't, I can't read your mind. I really don't know what you're thinking. I could guess. I could have premonition. If I know you fairly well, I could go, I bet he's thinking. I bet she's thinking this. But I, I don't know your motives you might be thinking something very differently. Only you know in a moment what you're thinking. If I can't read your mind, is there any way possible I'm reading God's mind? I bet God was thinking, am I ever going to come to that conclusion? Am I, I going to be accurate, fail safe on that? Unless God says, here is exactly what I'm thinking. Here is exactly who I am. Here is exactly how I do things. Here is exactly what matters to me. Here is what I want from you. Here is what I've done for you. 
Do you understand we can only process these things given to us by God through the Holy Spirit? That's what verse 12 says. We don't have the spirit of the world. We have the spirit from God. And because of that, even verse 13 says, we can teach and impart and speak to each other. We can, we can use words to instruct each other through the Spirit. We can take spiritual truths and realities, explain them to people of the Spirit. And the world doesn't, doesn't operate like that. It says in verse 14, the natural person. So Curtis, apart from the Holy Spirit, I don't accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're folly. They're nonsense to me. And I'm not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. So different than what you encounter most places in religion. Most places in religion say there's some secret knowledge and you have to pursue it and pursue it and pursue it. And one day you will reach enlightenment because you will have climbed the ladder. But our intellect, our perception, our persistence, isn't, they're not going to be resources for us to make our way to God. Not the ultimate resources. This drives us to prayer. This has to tell us like something is outside of us that we need help with. Think about it. So again, the context is Paul saying you're dividing. You got factions, you got groups, you've got subgroups. You think you're better than him. She thinks she's better than him. He thinks he's better than her. What, what, what is going on here? Are you being tempted to divide? Are you proud Because you've got this revelation, this insight. Are you proud of what you know? Do you even remember it was the work of the Holy Spirit to begin with? What do you have that you did not receive? Church, this ought to humble us because anytime we think we're pretty smart and anytime we want to kind of appear smart by dropping pieces of information that make us look good, make us look like we have some superior intelligence, maybe even superior Bible knowledge, we have to remember this passage says, I'd never work my way to God. I can never do it. Anytime I want to look culturally savvy, I'm kind of in, I fit in, I'm with the in-group. This passage reminds us, yeah, you would never be accepted by the one who matters most, not in your own strength. Every time I think I'm a little bit better than most, take that guy, take that girl. I, I think I'm doing better than they are. At least I'm doing better than that. This passage says, in in your own strength, in your own flesh. You're you're a human who is ignorant, in the dark, lost, wandering. This is meant to humble us. Is a regular part of our life acknowledging that I would never know things about God if he weren't gracious in revealing them to me. I would never know it. Does this ever drive us to worship? Does this ever cause us to praise? Does this ever drive us to gratitude? Would people even around us, I wonder, would people around us know? He is humble. She is humble because she knows everything has been given to her from God. Would, would that be evident? Did we thank God at all this past week for revealing himself to us? Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. How would I know he's my redeemer? How would I even know that he would care one lick about being my rock if he hadn't told me, I am your rock. I am your redeemer. I am your hope. I am your joy. I am your shepherd. I am your Lord. As you desire to go deeper, I I love this verse. I want to call our attention to it again. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 Building on what we know, what 
as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear would ever have heard, what no heart could ever have imagined, all these things that God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Those who love him, those who know him in a deep way. These things God has prepared, he's revealed to us through the Spirit. So not only, this is not only talking about what we know, but this also signifies something about what is important. And and I want us to see this because I think Paul is wanting the people in Corinth to process something very, very significant, and that is the things that the Spirit has taught you are the most important things in the world. This is the time of the Roman Empire. There are lots of big things going on in the world. He says, these are the most important. This passage has so much to teach us, not just how we know things about God, which is only through the Holy Spirit, but what we know and how important is what the Spirit teaches us. The things that the Spirit has taught you are the most important things in the world. We have to be reminded of that. The most important things in our universe aren't necessarily what comes up through Snapchat or what's on our newsfeed, or what, what buzzes in our pocket that says, breaking news, breaking news, more breaking news. Really serious breaking news this time. Well, what's most important in this world is not necessarily what happens in D.C. or Wall Street or Hollywood or Iowa or New Hampshire or the major capitals in the world's cities. Could it be that we need to kind of recalibrate what is most important in verse 7, is that there was a God who had, has this wise plan before the ages. He's the only God, the only true, the only living God. And he has this plan, according to verse 7, and it is a plan that was secret and hidden. And God had decreed it before the ages for our glory. You know, one thing that is the most important thing to realize is that God has this plan it's almost like a time capsule that now has been opened. Or, or maybe the confidential military records or personal files that now have been disclosed. And God would say, that's the most important thing in the universe. Not the scores that we'll all try to follow this afternoon and see which team is doing what, which player is doing what. The most important thing in the universe is that God has a plan for the ages. Eternity past to eternity future. And we would have missed it we would have been content to just like live our lives apart from that. But the Spirit made it known to us. One day we found out, we heard, someone told us the message. One day we were reading the Bible. Some, somewhere the Spirit says that matters. And he opens our eyes and helps us understand it. And our actions change and our desires change. There's wisdom of this world, but verse 6 says that's doomed to pass away. One day that will be no more. But there is something, there is something about There is something about the plan that God has that will be eternal. It's permanent. It'll change history. And another thing that's important is that plan that God had throughout the ages. Here's a most important thing. The centerpiece of that whole plan, the dividing line of that whole plan is the cross of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 8, there's a wisdom of this age, but if the people in this age really knew what was going on, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Would you put your Savior on a cross if you really understood it all, if you really processed it all? Would you go, let's nail him up there? Would would you kill the person that is trying to rescue you? 
trying to deliver you, you wouldn't do that. The focal point of 1 Corinthians is the cross, but the cross would be nothing to us. It would just be a person in Palestine executed 2,000 years ago by a Roman government for crimes he may or may not have done. But the Spirit says, that cross is more than that. We comprehend the depth of the cross. We comprehend the love that it took for Christ to go to that cross. We can see that that cross is not just for people in bad shape out there, but it's for us. It's for our salvation. How do we know that? I don't know how how you've experienced the cross, the love of Jesus Christ. But I do know this, we never would have processed it on our own if the Spirit hadn't said this is the most important thing in the world. It's so different the timing in which you're drawn to faith. I think of my parents who lived 30 years going to church occasionally, hearing a message occasionally. Would have, would have heard about the cross, certainly would have gone to church on Christmas and Easter. And then one moment, a pastor gets up and talks about the cross. And it's like the eyes are open. How do you, how do you explain that? That that very day, nothing was the same for their life, for my life, for our family's life. Nothing was ever the same. How do you explain it? It's the Spirit opening our eyes to see this is the most important thing in the world. The wisdom of the world takes us a very different place. I was even reading an interview this week, and it it was an interview of a really famous athlete, and she was talking about how she tries to be the best that she can be. And I, I listened to her line because she said, actually, this is the way I live my life. Who cares what other people think? If they have a problem with me being myself, why are they even in my life? Why do I have to hear that noise? I have to be confident in being myself, and I think in the end, it's all about being happy with yourself and being a good person. And I listened to that and I thought, boy, that makes sense. Apart from the Spirit coming and saying, actually, you're not a good person. And actually, you need help to change the person that you want to be. Actually, you'll never be the best version of yourself in your own strength. Actually, you can turn down people that are actually coming to you in love and tell them, well, I don't need them. I don't, I don't need that noise in my life. But what if they had something good to tell you? All that, wouldn't, all that begins to rattle around in my mind. And I think it took the Spirit of God, to tell me this is the most important thing, I would have missed it. And not only does the Lord save us through the cross, but God's good work changes us in community like this. It changes us. God changes us for our good and for his glory. The work that God starts, he completes. We aren't rescued just to have fire insurance in case we'll need it one day. But we're saved to be different. As a matter of fact, verse 7 talks about when God decreed all this, when God set his plan in motion, the end of verse 7 says it was for our glory. Isn't that an amazing thought? For our glory. I have categories for God's glory. But caught up in this saving plan of God is that I receive glory. What does that that even mean? How do I wrap my head around that? God has a in his mind, a plan to bring out the very best in us, living so close to God that some of the wonder and power of God's own life and glory is shared with believers. And only the Spirit makes this known to us. God 
invites us in to share his glory. And he also says in verse 16, who, who could ever understand the mind of the Lord? The expected answer is no one. Then it says, but wait a minute, we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. No one, humanly speaking, could ever enter into the mind of God. Yet because God has given his spirit to Christians, when we aren't consumed with the ways of the flesh, we can now say that in contrast to everyone else, we actually have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? It it certainly doesn't mean we're super spiritual. I think when I read a phrase like the mind of Christ, I kind of want to press that and hyperlink to another passage that talks more about the mind of Christ because Paul just kind of leaves it almost dangling out there. And I love the passage in Philippians 2 because it tells us exactly. You don't have to turn there. It'll be up on the screen. Philippians 2 tells us exactly what this mind of Christ is all about. Paul says to another church in Greece as well, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But you want to know what the mind of Christ is? And others, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. You want to know what the mind of Christ is? Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. What is the mind of Christ? Paul would say, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. You have the mind of Christ, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or exploited or used for his own advantage. He, didn't, he had all those privileges and he laid those down. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and was born in the likeness of men. What is the mind of Christ? It's being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because of this, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that's above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is the mind of Christ? It's, it's what actually took him down down to this earth. It's what took him to the cross. And Paul says, you have the spirit, so you have the mind of Christ. Why would I show love to anybody beyond just self-interest? Why would I ever be patient with people that get on my nerves? Why would I ever sacrifice instead of just like me first? Why would I ever forgive? Why would I ever humble myself instead of exalting myself? Why would I give you the benefit of the doubt when I don't think you've earned it? Because we've been given the mind of Christ. When, when I look at God's word, sometimes it seems like it gives an immediate question I'm supposed to ask. So sometimes I kinda, that's how I linger on God's word. I I I linger on a question. Sometimes it seems like God's word gives us an immediate action step, a kind of practical step like, all right, let's just walk out these doors and do do this one thing, do more of it. And then there's sometimes where a passage like this just makes such a demand and a call on us to do not something that's just going to be one action that we might do tomorrow or this afternoon, but actually calls on us to change a whole mindset a whole perspective. I think that's this passage, to learn from the Holy Spirit about who God is and who I am. And when I'm faced with a a whole mindset change, what I recognize is I need to pray because I cannot do this on my own. So will you join me in prayer?
as we pray today, we confess, Lord, that you are our Father and you have given us your Spirit. What a gift that is. Humble us. Help us to listen. Cause us to rely on our own strength less and less and depend on you more and more so that we could live our lives like Jesus. Help us to show his presence, that he is really, really with us. Help us to reflect his authority, that he really is in control. He really calls the shots. He really has the power. Help us in all these things to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with you. And it is because the Spirit has opened up our eyes to see the truth about Jesus and because he has gone to the cross on our behalf that we can ask all these requests. Amen.